0: The new sponsor for the month of May for both the Shepherds Cook and the Fruitful and Fearless podcast is Reformation Coffee Company. Reformation Coffee is a small specialty coffee roaster in southwest Missouri that puts time and attention into high quality fresh roasted coffee all to the glory of God. They seek to glorify God and point to his glory through a company that provides coffee to the best of their ability. Their tagline is reform your coffee experience because they want you to know that your coffee can be better. They're also happy to provide a superior alternative to that of the God-hating coffee giants who don't care about you. Right now, they offer three origins of whole bean coffee, Guatemalan, Brazilian, and Ethiopian. They recently started offering five-pound bulk coffee beans for churches. Email them at reformationcoffee at gmail.com for more details. You can visit them at reformationcoffee.com, on Instagram at reformationcoffeecompany, and on Twitter at reformedcoffee. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast, and I'm excited today to have a really good friend of mine, friend really going back, I don't know, seven or eight years now at least, uh, I'm talking to my friend Mason Scroggins. How's it going, dude? It's going good yeah. to be here. Good. I think this is a—is uh, it maybe like the second or third? It's definitely. I think it's the third time that you've been on the show. So welcome back again for the third time. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Let's go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about transitions in ministry, and uh, um, and we'll just see where the Lord leads on this. But uh, but I'm excited. Let's pray, Father. We just thank you All for right. this time. We ask for your direction, your leadership, and as we come to you and uh, even have this conversation, we come as brothers, uh, and uh, we come as your sons, and we want to recognize that that you have brought us into your family, and uh, we're just so thankful for all you've done in our lives. We thank you for our, for our families and our friendships, just as families, the Sparks and Scroggins families. We're just so thankful for each other, and we just love them so much, and so thank you for him and Bree, and and the kids and, uh, just help us have a good time. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I thank you for your preserving hand on Mason and Bree through some difficult seasons and uh, some great seasons. And it's just neat to see them continue to grow and, and see where you have them placed now and, uh, and all you're doing it's in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Amen. All right, bro. So the last time we talked, you guys were at a, a different church than you're at right now. And I think it was uh, on our back porch. It was me and Jordan and you and Brie and I, I don't know maybe it's a year and a half ago or so now but there's been a lot that's changed in the last year and a half so why don't you go ahead and bring people back up to speed I've got a lot of new listeners so tell them a little bit about yourself and uh and then just throw out some info about your family as well and then what you're currently up to
1: all right yeah um where to start so just a, as an update on who I am if anyone didn't catch those first couple episodes uh Mason Scroggins and I'm married have three kids of my own and uh been in ministry for quite a few years now it's been a long progress um coming along Um, jared has been instrumental in that and uh, we have recently taken a transition in ministry to a new church Um, so i am technically not the pastor there i'm serving as stated supply Um, it's it's been hard trying to explain that to people because i'm still considered pastor in their in their eyes so um, good luck trying to get them not to call me pastor, but it's been a, it's been a real blessing uh, for our family as we've transitioned there. Um, I'm still in seminary. That's one of the reasons why I decided not to take the pastorate. Um, so I'm still full-time seminarian, uh, full-time employee, full-time dad, full-time preaching. I'm there every Sunday, I actually do all the duties uh, of the pastor other than administer the sacraments. Um, so. Day to day, my work looks very much like pastoral work. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we're at now. Um, I don't know how how you want to go into that story of of the transition, Jared, or if you just wanted uh, an overview of who well, I am and what's going on.
0: We'll get to that here in a minute. I want to talk about your barbarian arm wrestling strength. So, how is it that you never lose an arm wrestling? That's what I want to know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, uh, I grew
1: up in Southern Illinois. Um, doing lots of just, uh, farm style work, like farm hand work. You've probably heard of like farm boy strength kind of thing. I I don't, if anyone has seen me before, you know, I don't have massive guns or anything like that. I don't have massive arms. Um, but yeah, I think just working hard all through my life has built up long-term strength that doesn't necessarily look beefy and awesome, but
0: it works. And it's good enough to pull some 60, 70 pound catfish out from underneath a rock in a raging creek, correct? Yes, yes. And yet still somehow I don't have that much just here. (laughs) Maybe one day, maybe one day. Maybe. Uh, So do you call it hogging or noodling? Uh, We usually call
1: it hogging, but if you say noodling, I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, so if you guys are unfamiliar with hogging or noodling, that means Mason gets into a creek and puts his hand underneath a rock with the uh, knowledge that there's a huge catfish under there or the, at least, uh, you know, good educated guess that there is a catfish underneath there, shoves his whole arm in there. And then the catfish comes out, grabs onto the arm, holds on tight and fights for dear life as Mason pulls it out of there with blood coming down his arm. That's called Hagen. And uh, otherwise known as the absolute horror story for most people in this country. Um, <laughs> but uh When's the last time you went out and did that? I mean, this is real important stuff. I know. Um, we usually go,
1: I usually go every July with my family. There's like a, that's kind of like the big shebang that we do before the 4th of July dinner. So that, I think that's the last time I went. Uh, we have family that comes down from Northern Indiana and we all go together. My okay. dad, he, he's usually in uh, mid-May when it's still way too cold to do it. And, no one else wants to go with him and he takes my brother out there and for some reason they do it
0: <laughs> well that's cool and i hope your dad listens to this brian thanks for listening in and i really appreciate him i still want to get over there turkey hunting with him sometime and uh and have him show me the ropes on that i have got my first turkey but i definitely want your dad to to show me the ropes over there okay so uh, he's probably turkey hunting right now actually that, yeah that's his thing so like what is it second season or third season right now turkey hunting I think this is the first season. Is it first season still? Okay. I think well, so. Yeah. If, if, for, if, so if you guys aren't from Southern Illinois, Jordan, my wife, grew up right near where Mason grew up in that area of Southeastern Illinois. And that is back country. I mean, the biggest town over there, I guess, is Harrisburg, would be the big city in Southeast Illinois. And that's got about 10,000 people. But uh, where you were from, North City area, I mean, you're looking mm-hmm. at what? In the whole county, maybe four or 5,000 people? In the county or in the city? Well, I guess in the city, there'd be only what? I mean, North, City's got in North city. In our city, there's 1,200, I think. 1,200. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So Mason grew up in the country and we got to meet, uh, I guess we've, we've known each other about each other for probably a decade, I guess. And since Jordan grew up in that area, went to the same church as he and uh, as Mason and Bree and Bree is Jordan and Bree are really good friends. Mason's wife. Um, we got to know each other and they started coming to our church after going through some theological transitions and changes and, And they were at our church for the first couple years. And maybe the first year and a half, was it two years, Mason?
1: I'm not sure if it was quite two years or not.
0: Okay. Uh, Because we were pre-planting
1: stage two. We were still doing Bible studies and stuff. So I'm not sure. I know we made it past the first anniversary uh, for sure. So I'm not sure
0: if it was quite two years. Okay, yeah, the very first stages of that. In fact, you were the first person that ever gave to our church, by the way. If you remember that, it we were sitting oh, in Panera cool. and yeah, yeah. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but then you guys, as you continue to grow theologically, and you made some changes, you became Presbyterian and want to pursue pastoral ministry, so there was a limitation there, and that began your first transition in ministry, and now you've gone through another one. So now you've kind of had when we're talking about transitions here, we're talking about moving from one church to another. And the process of that, some of some of which have been good. And the first transition was a good transition. The second tran- transition that you just had was a little bit more difficult. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the process of moving from one church to another. And sometimes that is voluntary. It's a pursuit of another position or a calling. Uh, and then sometimes it's more involuntary. And I've gone through those involuntary transitions before where it felt like I was the, you know, like the little animal in Toy Story that the claw comes down and gets and grabs. And it felt like God was... <laughs> the claw just picking me and my family up and, and moving me out and dropping me, uh, you know, against, you know, my will here and providentially moving us into a better situation. And uh, so you've gone through that. And I know many of the listeners out here have gone through situations that are positive and negative, and you, you want to try to learn from the positive and grow in the negative situation. So why don't you just go ahead and throw out your assessment of kind of a, the, the different transitions you've gone through. And then along the way, when you see my finger go up like that, I'll be interrupting to ask a question or explore a thought a little bit further based on what you're saying.
1: Sure. Yeah. So all of this is still somewhat fresh. I mean, it's just been a couple months ago that all this happened. So I'm still kind of processing all of it. How do I think about this transition compared to other transitions in life? Um, The wrong things I did, the right things I did, because certainly it hasn't been a a perfect transition. Um, So uh, the way I would characterize this transition compared to the last one was this one was more of a personal um a personal focused transition rather than a belief focused and i think that that's that's it's usually one of those two things that cause a shift in ministry to move from one place to the other it could be a doctrinal issue um like when we were at your church it wasn't some huge doctrinal issue uh, as far as like heresy or anything like that it was um you were baptist and i was presbyterian and practically um, that didn't work so we had to make a transition and it was a hard transition in the sense that we loved you guys and it was a really really hard thing to leave such a good healthy church Uh, but in order for my daughter to be baptized and me to be able to minister um, and hold my convictions that we had to leave so that that was the different kind of transition compared to um, this last one which was much more personal Um, when you look at the church that we were at the, the theology, the beliefs on paper were almost identical. Like it it was um, almost shocking how much we didn't disagree um, Mm -hmm. on paper. So we look at the paper and what you would anticipate it looking like it would, you would think, wow, this is going to be a perfect fit. Like everything's going to line up exactly like you would think. But the the thing that I've learned through all of this is that ministry is so different in person, face-to-face and real life than it is on paper. And when you're calling ministers in, uh, when you're dealing with people from a distance, it's really hard to really understand who that person is. Ministry, I really do think, has a lot to do with personalities and how we interact with one another. Um, And that's what it really came down to. There was some really, really strong differences of personality um, in the way that we interacted. And that interpersonal ministry kind of stuff uh, was what shifted us to where we are now. So I would say those those are the differences between the two. Uh, The first, I think, was a lot more healthy. Uh, The second, I would say, um, was unhealthy. We were leaving an unhealthy situation, whereas the first one, there wasn't unhealth. There was just differences. Does that make sense?
0: Right. So let's go in the first one and talk about that for a few minutes, and then let's switch to the second one. And let's just kind of pull out some things that we remember because I think there were some positive things on my end about that situation as well. And it was sad to see you go, these are bittersweet moments. We just sent Adam and Amber Lewis dear friends of ours that are moving up to where Hank is now pastoring in DeCoin. And we prayed over them and released them from past- their pastoral duties, his pastoral duties and their member duties from our church and released them in good standing to go be a part of Liberty. And uh, it was a, a difficult thing, but it was also, there was elements of glory there you know, where you're seeing brothers yeah. and sisters in Christ continue to move forward and do, do what they can to, to follow the Lord and, and go fill needs. And there was a lot of great things about you guys moving forward because you were pursuing a call into pastoral ministry and making those difficult decisions to, uh, you know, that meant that you were going to have to finish your bachelor's degree. That meant you were going to have to go to seminary and, you know, going into ministry as a Presbyterian is different than Backwood Baptist, where you can just, you know, have a couple guys lay hands on you and you're good to go. You know, you're in ministry now after asking, you know, answering a few questions. When you reflect back to to our transition out, we had some of the hard conversations and the about the theological differences and when it comes to covenant theology and baptism. But what are, what were some of the positives about that transition, as you can remember back? What were some of the good things from that? Yeah one of the one of the things that I think was different is that
1: that felt more like a spread, whereas this latest one felt more like a split. If that makes sense when okay. it, when it comes yeah. to the body of Christ, um, when when you have goodbyes sometimes it feels one way or the other more so of of a split or it could be a spread Uh, the way I felt when we were leaving Christ Church is that we had some theological differences but it very much felt like we were being kind of commissioned and sent forth um, Mm -hmm. rather than we were kind of dissenters leaving Um, it was we were sent off in love Um, the whole church prayed for us if I recall correctly I think that you guys even laid hands on us um, lots of tears were had. Everyone was um, in a bittersweet state. It, it wasn't any awkwardness leaving at all. Um, so, yeah, it, it was one of those things where I reflect back on it. I think that was a really good thing, um, yeah. a healthy thing on both ends. Um, we didn't stay and fight about things all the time. Uh, that could have been the case. I mean, some people will stick around in a situation where they don't fit right in ministry. And they'll just kind of be that, um, that annoying person in the church that won't leave, but has obvious reason to leave. <laughs> uh, I think most pastors resonate. Obviously, the church isn't a good fit, and they will just keep staying there and being miserable and making everyone else miserable. Um, mm-hmm. So you got to know when the right time to leave is and know um, all those factors uh, that go into that. And I, I feel like the way that we were sent off was just a really beautiful thing Um, because we were able to go and pursue what um, theologically fit us better. And you were able to continue on as the church. We still prayed for you. We're still friends. We still send people to your church. Um, We send people your way that
0: are Baptist. So, um, yeah, I I just think of it totally differently uh, than this last transition. Well, what I appreciated about that time, even when you guys are at our church as members and still Presbyterian as members of our church what I appreciated was your humility because you guys were willing to say, we can affirm the confession of faith, but we go beyond the confession of faith. So we can say yes. And then it's like a yes. And, and there's uh, something else. And we can submit to you guys and submit to the leadership here until we find out what's next. And I appreciated the the kindness and the humility there. And, uh, you know, that was uh, something to be admired, especially, you know, you guys are a decade younger than I am. And, I really appreciate it. At that time, you were in your early to mid-20s, I think, at that time. Are you 28 now, Mason? So you were in your early 20s, and to conduct yourself with that sort of integrity was admirable. And what was so clear for Jordan and I and so clear for our elders in our church is that God had his hand on your family. And God had his call on your life. And so we wanted you to pursue that. And, you know, these kind of of conflicts, I think, are going to continue to... uh, these good conflicts are going to continue to come up where in communities you have uh, Baptists and Presbyterians. And the frustrating thing is (laughs) what happened with us is the frustrating thing is that it happened, but the good thing is that we have so much in common that we can remain friends, dwell in unity. And uh, I mean, I can say this, we just, uh, we, I mean, we dearly love you guys. And uh, to see you guys continue to pursue that call into ministry has been great. And so Some of the difficulty, because we love you, has been watching you guys go through some of the challenges you've been through the last year. So you went through a a really good time and and continued to pursue your ministry, but then uh, things didn't go the way you would have hoped they would go. Things didn't go the way that it looked like it was going to go on paper. And now you're serving in this new church. So would you walk us through to the degree that you're comfortable sharing these details or lack thereof, what was the second period of time and then what have you learned so tell us about the process and then what have you learned even though it's still fresh i know that this may be a little bit easier to answer in a year from now or five years from now but what was it like and then what have you learned
1: sure yeah so i'm still learning um so i'll like you said be able to add to that list as as time goes on and as um continued even healing goes on i I feel like we bounced back pretty well already but um still working things out in our minds, still processing all of it. Um, it's a, it's a process. Um, okay. So here's what happened. We, we transitioned from your church, um, and we moved back to Southern Illinois. Um, sorry, we were still in Southern Illinois, but we moved churches, uh, to, um, another city that was about an hour in the other direction, uh, from Carbondale. So we were, going there for uh, about a year when we decided we're going to pick up the family and actually move there. We're going to go all in, um, move the entire family there, buy a house and be right next to the church. Like we could walk uh, to the church. We're so close because um, we just kind of threw ourselves headlong in. We wanted to be in uh, this particular denomination and this uh, particular church. So we went there and I, as you said, continued my education and uh, in the denomination that I was in, they require a master's in divinity, and I only had my associates. So I went and got a bachelor's, um, served for two years um, at that church while getting a bachelor's so that I could get a master's. So I went and got a business degree, actually, just because my company would pay for it. Um, So we're super, super invested, right? we moved there. I've decided to do a whole degree just so I could get this degree, this other degree <laughs> um, in the denominations so that I could serve there, um, serving on all kinds of different committees and things like that. I became an elder, uh, so I've actually been ordained there, and um, the pastor decided to leave, and he had a, he had a transition of himself, and um, he moved up to the uh northeast and took a church in the dc area so that was a sad transition to see him leave it was it was kind of surprising actually right. um i was i was an elder and it wasn't really communicated well it wasn't communicated he told me the day before he told the church uh which whatever um, i don't i don't think that was the best way to go about that but that was kind of how it all lesson happened. learned it was yeah a lesson learned it was way too fast in my opinion uh to take that kind of a an action without talking to the rest of the elders. It wasn't just me. There was other elders too, and he wasn't informed either. So it was very sudden. Uh, the church was kind of shocked about it and, um, the situation that that left us and was no pastor, no really prospective pastor. The other elder that I was serving with is in his late eighties, I believe. I don't think he's in his nineties yet. Um, and, he's not the type that is very uh, leadership oriented as far as like being in front of people, a very wise old guy, great at making ministry decisions. uh, But he was getting in his older years. um, He'd been an elder for goodness, way longer than I've been alive, probably twice my age. um, He's been an elder. So um, that left me as the, uh, the functional pastor People were looking to me. I was, I was doing some preaching. Um, I obviously wasn't the pastor. We had a provisional session that then stepped in to help us. And that, that became quite a burden to us. Um, and I was serving on the pastoral search committee, trying as hard as possible to find someone to, to fill these shoes because I was not in a place to where I could be pastoring. Um, it was way too much on my plate. It was really hard on my family. And so we start this process and I think it was about a year before we even found anyone close to what we were wanting. And when we did finally find uh, this person, um, there were some differences um, personality-wise that we had that we noticed in the interviews. But on paper, he was golden. Um, Everything looked perfect. Um, So we ended up calling this person Um, and things seemed to be going all right at first, um, since everything was kind of perfect on paper, we were all under the understanding that it was going to be perfect, um, in person as well, that there wasn't going to be any kind of differences, but we quickly found out that there were some strong personality differences. Um, as you know, Jared, and as many of the pastors know, your, um, your particular style of ministry can be very different while having theological convictions that are very similar to someone else. Um, the differences on paper and the differences in person were, were the things that became really evident, kind of the red flags, something wasn't lining up. And to be honest, that, that kind of was my way of looking at ministry up until very recently. I was trying to make things work on paper. I mean, I was searching on the internet trying to figure out which denomination was going to be a best fit for me to minister in without actually living there and being a part of the people. And then once I found the denomination that I wanted to be a part of, um, I got involved. And what I found is that it wasn't what it was on the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that, that also can be just a particular church too. Not every church reflects um, the whole as it should. So Uh, The things that I've been learning more than anything is just there's always going to be some kind of distance between um, the profession and the actual living out of those uh, professed beliefs and what you confess as a church and as a body. Um, There's just going to be some hypocrisy, frankly. I mean, sometimes people are not sometimes people are sinners. Um, So there's just going to be that. But also there's just differences in style to different ministry uh, formulas. The people um, walk in. So as time goes on, there's more and more distance between what we initially thought that we were calling as a pastor and who that person lined up to be. Um, And what I was finding through that is that I hadn't been honest to myself either, that I was becoming much more tolerant to things than I should have. Mm. I I was quite miserable and in denial about it when all the, the red flags around me were kind of fleeing up, I was still continuing to press on.
0: Yeah. It, w- as you're talking, I'm reminded of things that are seen, even in the denomination that that we're a part of, and most likely on the way out of, and even what Machen was dealing with. And 100, 110 years ago, Jay Gresham Machen, of, of those who were affirming the confessional standards and yet practically living in complete hypocrisy to it and unrepentant hypocrisy to it doctrinally. And so Mm -hmm. in one sense, it's, it's dishonesty. It's, it's, uh, there's a um, yes to this and then, but we're going to live and advocate for this particular uh, way of doing things or even, you know, or this particular doctrine that's in opposition to what we say we believe. And I think that's pretty pervasive from denomination to domination. Would you say there's a big difference between, repentant hypocrisy and unrepentant hypocrisy where it's, uh, uh, there's where one would be genuine and one would be, uh, um, I mean, it sounded like you were in an environment that was, it was, uh, un, it was, a uh, unrepentant hypocrisy. If there would have been a, a, you know, a hump, humility about, man, I'm trying to live up to what I say, I believe, and it's, it's difficult and I, I hate this. And, uh, and that was demonstrated then in a life of repentance. And because, I mean, in some sense, we're all hypocritical, but we're repenting of that and we're walking in that. So I think right. in a large scale level and even in a small local church level, there has to be a practice of, of, of repentance, even of our hypocrisy in a humble manner. Or we become these people who say we believe the confession and then we end up celebrating gay pride parades all, you know, in the same in the same sense. Right. Right. And what I what I found. So, yes, there is a difference to answer your question
1: there's certainly a difference between unrepentant and repentant um, hypocrisy. And what i found with unrepentant hypocrisy is that most of the time you don't get repentance and you get an explanation. Mm -hmm. So they will start to excuse the things that they're doing. And I think that what it really boils down to is you have people that are diehard, diehard committed to, the letter of the law, the letter of the denomination, but they completely miss the spirit of it. Mm, So they will explain away all day long why they're doing this or why they're doing that and kind of give excuses and reasons why they do things the way they do things while still trying to make their way of living fit to the letter of the law to where they can still point back to the paper if they're ever held to the fire. But look, no, I did this. I did what I'm supposed to do. And what you realize uh, if, you're, if you're really looking closely at the situation, is that that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Hmm. Uh, you're dealing with a Pharisee when you have someone who is constantly making explanations for his sins rather than just repenting about his sins, who is constantly prideful about how well he keeps the law to a, a T. It says, we, we do this, we do that. We're very, very confessional. We never mess up. If you, if you try to confront me about something, I'm going to give you a long explanation of why I'm not actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's right. extreme pride it, and it becomes a toxic environment to try to minister in because you start feeling, uh, like the crazy one because you get mm-hmm. gaslighted right. all the time. Well, right. well, you're obviously delusional. You don't understand what the, what the letter of the law is actually saying. It says this, when people with the spirit of God in them can kind of see a situation and say, but that just, it just, it's not right. Like mm-hmm. something isn't right about this. And that, that's another thing that I've learned as far as lessons, is to really understand what the Christian heart is about. Because what I found is when I would start to question things, I would get answers like um, that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Like, what do you know? Your your heart's deceived. Um, You don't understand what's going on. Your heart's desperately sick. Total depravity, total depravity, total depravity over and over again, but not applied to the person. It's just to you. Right. Mm, So they're, they're not They're not ready to internalize it, that they could be the one that is actually um, wrong in this situation. So your heart is always questioned rather than their heart. They're not ready to look back and reflect on themselves. So something I've really learned that I think is something that needs to be recovered in some sense is a right way of thinking about the Christian heart. Hmm. Because Especially in Reformed circles, we're so quick to say, well, the heart is sick. You can't know anything and you can't discern anything. But we forget that Uh, the the scriptures speak of having our old heart removed and a new heart given to us. Amen. We have that heart of stone, that calloused heart that is so quick to make excuses. That is so quick to give reasons for their sins. We have that removed from us and we're given a soft, vulnerable heart. That's ready to repent, ready to walk in humility. Mm -hmm. And that, that heart that we're given is actually something that we should be able to follow. Mm -hmm. We've said so long in conservative circles, don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. And half of that's true. But the other half is not like mm-hmm. if you have a new heart, you have the spirit of God implanted in you. You, you reside. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Yeah. And that Holy Spirit directs you into righteousness into to to right living. And you should be able to have some bit of intuition, which I know that's kind of a scary word in many reformed circles. But there's a reality that there's a little bit of intuitive wisdom that you have to have as a Christian to be able to call out a situation when you can't even always say it clearly um, on paper, but you can still say that's wrong.
0: Yeah. Something, yes something's amen. off about that. Yep. Yeah. So we've, we've got a guy that you, I don't know if I'm going to drop his name or not. I've actually had him on the show before and he received a bunch of uh, heat years ago for talking about the good heart. The Christian heart mm-hmm. is now good. And the way he said it was kind of awkward and weird and clunky. But you're hitting the nail on the head, man, that we are not depraved anymore. That is fundamentally not who we are. And I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago. And first time I heard it, I thought, oh, I, you know, I don't know about that. And, but I was just reading even in Proverbs this morning. I was in Proverbs 14. And uh, it talks about, you know, when somebody says, you know, he's a good man. And the immediate response from us is no one's good. No, not one. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. correct. And yet there's this category in the Proverbs of the good man, of, of who a good man is. What does a good man do? Yeah. And I think that's not good uh, in by natural means, but it's good based on what what God of the universe is doing inside of a, a person. And Martin Lloyd Jones one time that said that Jesus Christ died to make not just dead men alive, but bad men good men. And I remember thinking that, huh? You know, like I it felt awkward at first, and yet, I mean, my gosh, yeah. we have the Spirit of God within us. We are we we are our justification is based on imputation, but is not God through that new heart, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And so, man, I, I love what you're saying here, that, that there is a, um, a reality of the goodness of the Christian heart.
1: Right, and we, we do follow him with our hearts. I mean, Jeremiah 20, 24, 7 says, I will give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I, I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. So it's with the heart that we actually pursue christ in ministry um it's the heart that we that we are actually being led by it's not that the heart can just kind of follows along and we lead with the head no we actually lead with the heart it's our hearts that are actually leading us in ministry i think much of my own failures in ministry have been due to the fact that i was actually chasing an ideal on paper in my head while ignoring the intuitive spirit given to me at the new birth
0: yeah. right so yes yeah, yeah that, that's re- that's really good, because honestly, the, the Bible talks about, the, I mean, the deepest level of thinking, there's there's a sense in which the deepest level of thinking is not physiological and it's not through the brain, but it is through the heart, and mm-hmm. like here, I, I'm reminded of this as you're talking, two passages, the first one will deal with what we were just talking about just a second ago, and then this one, right, based on the comments you just made, this is Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in his heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So a good man, there is, there's a way to be a good man and then a way to be a bad man. And then listen to this wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding in the heart. There's a, there's a resting place for wisdom in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. So there, there's a place of the human heart that you're talking about here where Mm -hmm. wisdom can rest. And, uh, And that's, you know, this is a a nice little rabbit trail that we're running on. It's a a good rabbit trail to run on.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important, though, when it comes to transitions, because you have to figure these things out. I mean, when you're dealing with a situation and you start having these gut feelings, I think that it's really easy for people who have... uh, have a lot invested that don't want you to leave could try to explain things away. They'll show you the paper side of things, why you shouldn't leave when everything inside of you is saying, no, no, this is not good. Like Mm -hmm. your family around you is saying they're miserable. Uh, You have zero fruits to back up uh, the things that you're trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've been kind of turning your wheels for a while and nothing is actually happening, but everything can look pretty on paper. Um, So, so we need that intuitive spirit. When it comes to transitions, because if you don't, and you only are looking um, at the letter of the law and not the spirit, then you can put yourself in an absolutely awful situation and you can screw up your own ministry and the lives of other people. I mean, if you're in a place that God is not calling you to, and remember, we're supposed to be pursuing God by the heart. If he's not calling you and your heart isn't
0: connected to what he's doing and what his purposes are for your life, then you're in the wrong place. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, if you've been in the spot that Mason is talking about, okay, and I've been there as well, where you got to the point of thinking, I'm the crazy one, and there's gaslighting happening, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm just missing it here. And you see people around you, and they're miserable, and there isn't that fruit there. You can get to a point where you are, you, you're, you're literally under this, it's almost like a wet blanket, an oppression, where you are walking around thinking, I'm not even called into ministry. I mean, what am I even doing? There's a really good book uh, that was written in the '80s, and there's some. It's a little bit cheesy, but and Mason, you might want to check this out because I think that you'll read it and think I was there. It's called "Antagonists in the Church," and, and "Antagonists in the Church" does it highlights different levels of antagonism, and how that antagonism comes out out and it controls and manipulates and it makes the person feel like they're nuts, and uh, and so you know, when you're dealing with somebody like that, it can cause a lot of damage. That's why a good man can do a lot of good by the grace of God. A bad man can do a lot of bad and leave a wake of damage and hurt really great people. And, uh, okay. So now you're in this spot and, uh, what's next? I mean, what do you do? I mean, you either stay there, buckle down and just, you know, tough it, tough it out. Hopefully behaviors change and things change, or you got to do something else. So uh, what do you do?
1: Yeah. So, so our plan was, to finish seminary and then leave. It was never our intention to make this our home church forever. That was kind of a, a launching point for us because we needed to get into the denomination um, and then launched out uh, to go and do a church plant or um, take a pastor somewhere. So it was never our intention to stay, but we were wanting to stay until I was done with seminary. So that was kind of our mantra. Well, Let's just get through this season. And you've probably heard so many people in ministry say, well, this is just a hard season. And what you start to realize if you're there in, in that situation is it's not a season. This is like your lifestyle. It's it's not just a small uh, portion of your life. This is the way that you've chosen to live and it's not going to change um, unless you change. So that's where we were. We had to make this hard call. What are we going to do? Are we going to just try to tough it out for the next two years? Because that's about how much that's where I was uh, at that time on track to finish seminary. It's it's probably still gonna be about two years, even though it's been some time since this has happened, but we were like, should we just wait it out two years? We're miserable, this stinks, but we've moved our entire family here. We've bought a house, we've made relationship here. Um, The church loves us, we have friendships here. Um, Should we just try to bear through it, grit our teeth and and get through it? Um, This person that I'm doing ministry with, it's not going great, but I can handle it. I think for some time. Um, and the answer to that question after much prayer and, um, uh, taking this very slowly was no, we've, hmm. we've got to leave. We, we have to, um, do something different, even if it's just for two years, which doesn't seem like that much in the grand scheme of things, but two years, a lot can happen in your life. Yeah, um, a lot, you can miss in your life. And, and if you're dealing with someone, um, like I was, who was saying things like, no, your family will be fine. Uh, you're, you're being a good dad. Um, when I'm feeling like, you no, know, I'm not around my family enough. I'm not putting enough time and effort into the, the things that really matter in life, like my family, when um, I'm constantly being told, no, you just need to put more time into ministry. I need to put more time into study. Um, you need to, you need to get this down, get that down, just try harder, uh, be better kind of thing. Um, when that is the, the, the advice that you're being given um, we thought it was pretty clear that we needed to go. Yeah. And to be honest, it it was, I say, we, uh, and I need to back up a little bit. I need to give a lot more credit to my wife. Um, She was actually much more miserable than I was, I think. Um, And maybe it could have just been that I was lying to myself, but she was able to really point to some things to help me wake up, to ask me really hard questions. And I think that's, what what it means to have a good wife is to have that person who's actually helping you by helping you realize that you are making the wrong decision um, by staying in such a miserable state. And and she was there to to ask me those hard questions. Are you happy? Like, are you getting what you want to get out of all of this? Are you feeling fulfilled? Is this life giving those kind of things? And they were all no (laughs) answers. Um, So we made the, the hard call to have some really tough conversations um, and it wasn't just, we're going to leave. It was, let's call these things out and possibly there could be reform. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't just immediately we're going to leave. It was something's got to change and it's looking like we may have to leave kind of thing. So we started to call out some of the issues and we were met with complete absolute resistance, like absolute wall, um we were crazy we were the delusional ones we are being disrespectful to our elders uh we're breaking commandments not honoring our mother and father um spiritually of course um by by doing this kind of thing and even calling it out was question how could you do wow. this how how disrespectful and you young pups coming in here thinking you know all about, all about ministry uh how dare you so so that's where we were and at that point it was really obvious like well, this is not good this is toxic actually and we actually in many ways, fear for the, the future and the, the, the people that are there because this can't go on like this. This is not healthy ministry. This isn't pastoral at all. Um, I, I'm getting no pastoral care as far as how I'm going other than you're crazy, um, right. you're disrespectful, you're awful. Um, so we, we pressed and got resistance, got no repentance. Um, and then we waited on it for a little bit and things got worse and worse. I don't want to go into any details, but um, it just got to be a really nasty situation. We were basically asked to leave uh, before we even just left. So we, uh, we did. We decided we were going to leave. We slowly transitioned out and um, we did not tell the congregation what had happened. And I'm still, that's the part I'm still kind of processing through. How much should we have told so that people could be in the know and how much should we protect our pastor? Um, I don't think that sins should ever be protected, but there's an element too. of We had no desire and we still have no desire to ever split a church. Mm -hmm. Um, But when things are unhealthy, there's also an element of um, bringing sin to light. And so so that's something we're still kind of weighing on. Um, The weird thing was that no one really asked, um, Mm -hmm. which just Mm -hmm. brought all the more red flags wide how could we be in a church uh, where I was serving as an elder and then leave and no one even ask why mm-hmm. we're just, and we were close to the church too. I mean, it wasn't like I was just this new elder on, no one knew us at all or anything like that. We were, we had close relationships. So it was the most bizarre thing um, for us to start to transition out and no one's really asking questions.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, think, that's, I think that's a, I think i That's a difficult thing because I've been through that as well. And I think a lot of the people listening in have been in that not knowing discretion, how much discretion, how much are we protecting the church? Uh, How are we to do this when we leave? And maybe a good rule of thumb, maybe because there's a, a difficult, I mean, it's just, it's just hard to know is when they come be honest, you know, if they ask, tell them why. Yeah. And that that's different than jumping on Facebook and saying, here's the five reasons why we're leaving. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and here's why you should leave too. There's a big difference between that and then somebody humbling and saying, can we have a a time of, of getting a cup of coffee? And I just want to hear what happened and then being honest. And that could be a rule of thumb. um, But boy, I wish there was a, a really good answer there because you can have two arguments. You want to protect them. So going on the offense and saying, here's what happened could be, justified in the sense of trying to protect the people. Uh, And then on the other side is you you don't want to see a church implode because you don't know what God may do there to bring that about naturally, or is God going to use you as the means to bring that about? Those are difficult, difficult calls, but okay. So now fast forward a little bit. You went, you, so you, you left, you left there and now you find yourself actually in this new role with a new church family and a different denomination and in a small, smaller community how are things going? How's that been? Now getting back and getting your feet underneath you guys a little bit as a family, has it been a overall? Win? How's things going?
1: It's been absolutely godsend. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that the the decisions that we made leaving and then coming to uh, Village Church, we're at right now, and I'm I'm happy to um, share anything about my church because it's just been a beautiful. Uh, community for us to be able to to transition out of such a a hard, I would even say toxic situation. It wasn't a toxic church. It was um, the situation with the leadership that was so hard. Um, But leaving that and coming to Village Church was a breath of fresh air for our family. Um, And we were already familiar with the church. It wasn't just like uh, we left where we were before and we started church hopping around, trying to find the right fit. I preached at this church. They'd asked me to preach about a year before that. Um, and they they loved us. They, they welcomed in our family. Um, and they asked me to start coming on a somewhat regular basis and preaching there. So I was familiar with this church already. Um, but we, by no means, uh, Considered ourselves members of the church or anything like that. So yes, I was going there and preaching beforehand, but um, it wasn't an automatic thing in our mind that if we leave where we were um, before, uh, that we were just going to hop to this church. It wasn't that at all. And in many ways, we were praying about going and joining another church in this denomination, maybe even driving about 45 minutes so we could just come under care of some good, healthy eldership um, and be kind of just on the, on the back burner for a while. Um, to let things rest, to get through seminary. Cause I'm, like I said, I'm still in seminary. So that wasn't an easy decision actually uh, just joining um, the church. Cause we also had to figure out um, how I was going to pay for seminary too. Uh, so that was another factor of, am I just going to be left on my own? Cause this church before was supporting me in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to figure out what all that meant, where we were going to go and, it just happened to be that when we came there um, and talked to the eldership there, that they were, they were wanting me to come on as pastor. Um, and I wasn't quite ready for that. Like I said, I'm, I'm at supply now because I, I am still in seminary. I don't want to be obligated um, in the sense that I have to put all this time into the, into the church uh, when I'm still trying to keep my family healthy. Cause that's most important to me right now and um, getting through seminary. So um, it was really healthy, it's still really healthy, it's going absolutely well. We're growing at a crazy rate. Um, that church was a very, <laughs> very small awesome. church. Um, and it was a, it, another thing too that I haven't mentioned yet is that this church is in the town that I grew up in. So, I'd, I've been since I moved away about an hour from family. So, seeing family was um, not a rare occasion, but it was a difficult occasion. So, you had to drive an hour to get there, and I still have to drive an hour to get there. We're still uh, not living in the town of my church, which is unfortunate. We're trying to move back in that direction, but just being closer to family, not just the family in my own household, but my my parents and grandparents and aunts, uncles, everyone lives there that I grew up with and um, lots of friends there. It's just been a really great community to be welcomed back into awesome. a really loving people. These people love, like you have no idea. Um, and, and I think it's because, well, a lot of reasons. I think the Lord has been at work in their church for a long time, but they just haven't had to, seen, uh, had to see a lot of the, uh, the nastiness that can sometimes come with professionalism hmm. um, in bigger denominations. They're kind of a, a backwoods denomination, and they just don't have to deal with some of the stuff that you have to deal with when you're um, dealing with buttoned up people all the time. Yeah. I mean, professionalism is a real problem. In bigger denominations and, and it comes back to people who start to live by the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law they're they're pretty um when everyone are able, are able to look at them with um, mm-hmm. the resumes and things like that but their actual practice sometimes doesn't line up with that so they're so, they're pretty free of that
0: and yeah oh man that's awesome i was gonna ask are your parents coming to church now um
1: they're not members there but they do come they're very uh, very frequently, they still attend their um, other church that they're going to. So, what they usually do is go to their church and then our church. Um, so, Man, but no. we do have family. My, my aunt, um, she's been going there, and their church had just recently closed. So oh, it was really? just kind of a cool okay. thing. Yeah. So um, it, it's it's just been cool because she tells me things like she grew up Presbyterian, um, which I didn't know. I knew my great grandfather, which is her dad so it's actually my great aunt. Um, she, I knew he was Presbyterian, but I didn't really think about him raising his kids Presbyterian. He wasn't real about. but she just talked about how it was really cool and refreshing to her to come to our church. Um, and it feels like worshiping as a little girl again, because oh, wow, we we still cool. use the same basic liturgy. I mean, our liturgy doesn't look that much different than it did um, 30, 40 years ago when she was growing up as a little girl worshiping in the Presbyterian church in Ridgeville, Illinois. So, and it's it's cool. been a cool thing to just see some of those people in my family, just instrumental people in the community, too, that we can really um, we can use the body of Christ to impact our community. Um, it's just been a, a really great thing.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And is uh, David there yet? I mean, we talked a couple weeks ago. He said he wasn't uh, that he was going to some other churches. The dots. No. Nope. Nope, okay, go in so David, so if, if you're listening David, right if you're now, listening, man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're hearing it from me. Get over there and, and help Mason and Bree and, and get to the village. Um, all right, so sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, if, yeah. if it's the side that God is leading you to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there are better situations and worse situations. And friends, you've been in situations like this. And pastor, if you're there, uh, sometimes you're in a situation that unless God just does something radical and, and amazing there, uh, the, 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 the behaviors that have been there and present for decades are probably going to, going to continue. And there, there is a reality that sometimes you just need to shake the dust off your feet and you don't need to be a martyr anymore and you need to go find a better situation. And where Mason and Brie are now, it's been so cool to see that it literally does feel like there's that wet blanket that's been lifted off. And even just hanging out with you, we, we didn't get to hang out with you a whole lot over the last few years, but we can tell a difference in your countenance just as a family compared to from today to even when you were there and uh, even Jordan's conversations with Bree leading up to you guys leading, it's just like, man, if that was going to continue to go on for another two years, it was going to be awful. I mean, th- there's just nothing hardly good that could have come from that. So to be able to see you guys now in a better situation where you have a group of people that love and appreciate you and knowing you guys and, and considering a group of people who didn't love and appreciate you or even leaders that didn't love and appreciate you, it's en- it's enraging because we know how great you guys are and we know that god is just working in you guys we just love you guys so much so i'm just thrilled that you're in a better situation than you were before and uh now i'm hopeful that you can get you know 50 acres and a house somewhere over there and uh let me come hunt up there with you that's the yeah that's the you're hometown. gonna need a lot more than hope you're gonna need some prayer to get that prayer yeah that's <laughs> prayer i mean even <laughs> property up there now is crazy expensive isn't it
1: yeah yeah it's everything's uh over right now but even in southern illinois uh, yeah. I mean, we say crazy pricey.
0: expensive. I mean, you can still get land probably up there for three to five grand an acre. Yeah. Like. I mean,
1: yeah. The, the, the hardest thing is just finding anything for sale. It's, it's not, mm-hmm. that everything is too much. It's that there's hardly anything on the market. And if it does come on the market, it, it sells immediately, like before it ever even makes it on the market. Sometimes, sometimes like people decide they're going to sell and They know people that know people
0: and they're like, Oh, they'll, they'll buy the house. Like right. it doesn't even make it to realtors. Right. Well, I tell you what, guys, it's been a lot of fun. And Mason, I appreciate you coming on here and talking about this, you know, last few years for you, even going back to when you left our church and were sent out from our church. And I think for most of the guys listening, at some point, you guys have experienced situations like this. And if so, if this has resonated with you, be encouraged. You are not alone trust the Lord and reach out to me, reach out to Mason, Mason, I'm making you available here. And if you can't get Mason's contact, well then just reach out to me and I'll hook you up with him and you can, you can talk to him and maybe he can be a voice of encouragement to you. Uh, Mason, anything else before we get going here that you could give by way of encouragement to guys that may be in a situation like you've been in? Yeah, I'd say, even if you're not in a
1: situation, like I've found myself in probably at some point in ministry, things will get tough. And I would say the the best thing that you can do right now is to pray that the Lord will place people in your life that are good friends uh, for you to have lifelong friends uh, that can be there in times like this. Uh, When things start to feel like they're crashing down, it's really, really good, Um, more than good. It is almost essential to have friendships and ministry uh, that will be there to pray with you through these things, people who are already loving you. Uh, Because if you find yourself uh, on a session on an elder board um, and things are going south, those aren't going to be the people that you can go to in those times uh, when your feet are on the fire. Uh, You need people sometimes out of your own context uh, who you can go to, pray with, and who will be there and love you uh, completely removed from the situation. So uh, be encouraged if you have friendships like that, that when hard times come, you have um, someone who is there to bear your burdens with you that is able to pray with you. And I would say, pray right now, if you don't have that person um, in your life, that, that, that God will place someone in your life that will be there through all of ministry um, to kind of have your back to, to love you and to care for you through this. And of course um, you have a great savior that is there for you. Uh, you have a great shepherd. Even if your pastor might fail you, um, you have a great shepherd who is going to be there, um, who has always been there knows you better than any friend could ever,
0: Uh, love you, and know you, and he's there for you. Guys, this has been a lot of fun, and if you go to the intensive next month in May, you'll get to meet Mason, and we'll get to hang out. You can talk to him about some of this stuff, and I'm sure he'd be more than willing to hang out and encourage you, pray with you, and pray for you, and uh, certainly I would as well. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We've been talking to Mason Scroggins. Mason, thanks for coming on the show again, man. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thanks so much for continuing to come back and listen to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. If it's been helpful, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And if you want to support the ministry, you can do that at theshepherdscrook.co.